Hello and welcome to the Sketchnote Army Podcast. I'm Mike Rohde, your host and the author of the Sketchnote Handbook and the Sketchnote Workbook. And I am excited to welcome my friend James Soretta down from down under in Australia. Welcome, James. Thank you, Mike. It's, uh, I'm not sure what time it is on your part of the world, but it's late, late on a Friday um, and the perfect time to podcast. Excellent. It's uh, for me. It's early, early in the morning, and which is also a great time to podcast because the kids are sleeping. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, welcome to the show, and uh, I'm so excited to hear uh, your perspective on sketchnoting and visual thinking in general, um, and specifically how you use it to bridge across cultures and the way you use it as a thinking tool. Because I think maybe not everyone who's listening has uh, gone so deeply into integrating into their lives. And I think it's always good to hear mm. people who use it in a more deep way so that it can invite other people into using it maybe in a similar way, but in their own context. So why don't we start yeah. with talking a little bit about uh, who James Soretta is and what you do, and then you can sort of <laughs> jump right into how you use uh, visual thinking and sketchnoting in your daily work. Sounds good. So... Uh so James Serretta, up until about eight weeks ago, was a management consultant and had been for about 20 years. Um, so a particular bent on on strategy, I guess. So working with large corporates, um, uh, whether that's government or financial services or retailing, whatever. So pretty much anybody. Um, and most of my work was in, in strategy development. Um, interestingly, uh, there, there's a component to, to sketchnoting and visual thinking that, that fits into that, which, which I'll get to. But about eight weeks ago, I jumped ship. Um, I now am the head of a director of strategy for an organisation called JB Hi-Fi. JB Hi-Fi is probably really similar to Best Buy in the US. Um, hmm. It's Australia's sort of biggest consumer electronics retailer uh, and, an, and an amazing organisation to work for. Uh, so we have, you know... A, Big footprint, two hundred stores nationally across across the country, and and my role uh, is two things. So I, I look after strategy and digital. So I've got strategy for the company uh, and digital, which is uh, obviously digital. So every, everything to do with with online, social media, and from a strategic perspective. So that's wow. that's my job now. That's mm. that's quite the quite the position, and uh, congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. It's been a it's been a great shift. It's been an absolutely great shift. I feel like I've reinvigorated reinvigorated my career. Excellent. Well, that's always great to hear, um, you know, when we talk about sketchnoting or visual thinking or whatever, sort of pushing into new areas is always important. I try to do that in my practice and try to share that, you know, sketchnoting weird things like baseball games or whatever, yeah. <laughs> as you know, just to see how far can we push this thing. So uh, hearing that yeah. you're reinvigorated means that you're likely going to spread this idea in a different way in this context and maybe uh, get some people excited about maybe adopting it themselves. So talk a little bit about what you will be doing or maybe a combination because you've probably got so much experience with the management consultant consulting that there's probably stories there and then there's some excitement about how you maybe see this activity working going forward. Yeah. So there's probably a little bit of history that's worth covering, I think. Um, sure. So I did... I did uh, a three-day training course uh, with, I'm sure, someone that you know. If you don't, you, if you don't know him personally, you probably know of him. as a guy called David Sibbett. So, oh yes, uh, David. Yeah, so David, you know, big visual thinking guy. Um, so I did a training course with him back in '99 or something like that in Hong Kong, and and that was really about how do you, how do you engage 
organisations and teams to develop strategy over a, a, a two or three day period. So not 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 six weeks, ten weeks as is, is a typical consulting project. But how do you use graphic facilitation to get people to uh, you know from you know if you, really traditionally if you looked at it from vision, mission to strategy and and eventually an implementation plan. And that's that's probably what kicked off my. Um, interest and and fascination with visual thinking and ultimately sketchnoting. Um, through the through my consulting career, um, I've been a big proponent of I've been the often a lone voice that that absolutely hates PowerPoint, <laughs> um, and uh, and I've often found that the best way to engage a client when you're sitting across the table from them is to have a piece of paper in front of you. Uh, sketch out what you're thinking and it doesn't matter how rough or how ugly it is but you sketch out what you're thinking and the minute they grab the pen and start drawing on that same piece of paper you know you've got a real conversation happening and you've got you know you've got some mutual understanding so um, that was a really tangible way for me to to see the benefit of of sketchnoting and visual thinking and and graphic recording if you bundle all those things together uh, mm-hmm. and and became I guess a bit of a differentiator for the way I thought about stuff uh, and the way I, I executed on projects and spoke to clients and engaged clients as a as a management consultant. Wow, that's kind of amazing that uh, visual thinking would shift your, your trajectory that much. But I, it, in a way, it doesn't surprise me. It just uh, that different way of thinking sort of comes out in unique ways that you maybe couldn't have planned on when you first stepped into that, you know, that uh, course with David Sibbett. Yeah, exactly. And interestingly, you know, that was, what, seven, 16 or 17 years ago. Um, and the organisation that I'm working for now were actually a client and I used a, a pretty stock standard David Sibbett approach to help them, you know, develop a strategy. Um, and the CEO now says, you know, we engaged James as a consultant. We liked, we liked him so much we bought him. So um, so they offered me a job to go and, and, and be their head of strategy, which is – which has been great, and and those tools have now, you know, they've filled my office. Um, you know, we've run a number of sessions internally for different parts of the business using uh, using those tools. Um, I noticed the other day, you know, there's a number of people at work that have now got a, 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 a blank notepad with no lines and a marker, and and they they doodle and scratch and scribble. Um, so it, organically, it's starting to have an impact, which I think is is really exciting and quite fascinating, actually. Yeah, that's uh, this is interesting because uh, I don't have pers- I don't have a vision into many large companies, uh, mm. and so it's it's actually quite exciting to have someone at such a high level setting strategy and dealing with the entire digital uh, footprint of a company, sort of proposing this visual way of thinking, and I think that's mm. uh, pretty exciting to see. Um, I may have some future questions for you and how that's playing out because uh, I'm just really fascinated. I work inside. A large insurance company, and I'm doing a similar thing. I'm not quite at the top level. Uh, I'm more of a team lead, building a piece yep. of software. But um, it's kind of interesting, even in that position where I'm just on one team in one corner of the company. Uh, my stuff sort of makes its way around. Uh, in fact, the other day, apparently, a slide that I've been experimenting with uh, the iPad Pro and the pencil, doing sketch mm-hmm. notes of different engagements. So we had a design thinking organization come in and help us uh think about things a little differently and i captured that and someone the director of my division actually sort of stitched some of the pieces together pretty seamlessly and and it ended up in the uh in the cto's slides somehow (laughs) so you just you never know where your stuff's going to end up appearing and then 
when people meet me, they're like, oh yeah, you're that sketch note guy, right? So, <laughs> you know, your, uh, your reputation sort of precedes you in a good way that people are excited about it. And then of course you've got the next thing is, well, I can't draw. And you know, that now yeah, the discussion right. can start, which is actually, I love that question because I know I can answer it. So that, that is yeah. really exciting to know. And I would mention too, we talked a little bit about uh, David Sibbett. He has, uh, I think three books out that you can purchase right now on Amazon or anywhere. Um, yep. that will give you sort of David's approach to things and sort of his structure and the way he works. And they're fantastic books. So if you're looking for material, that's a great place to look. Yeah, absolutely. He's got one one small book called Pocket Picks, which is just, uh, it's it's not very big. It's um, but, but what it is is basically just a series of pictures, you know. So how do you draw a person? How do you draw a team? How do you draw a... A car. How do you draw a project? How do you do callouts? Um, and it's just a really easy way to to have you know uh, you know as as you've talked about in one of your in in probably both of your books. You know you you build your own visual library, mm-hmm. um, and and I find that I've probably got I don't know thirty icons that are eighty percent of what I do. Um, you know that that you keep coming back to, uh, and then and then and the rest you fill up when when you when the twenty percent that you need that you've never drawn before you you wing it. Um, yep. This is a really good way to to kind of build that visual library. Yeah. And I think, well, and I think, but sorry, I was just going to say, Mike, that one of the things I did when I started this new job was in my office. I've got my desk, but I've also got a a table where I can, uh, you know, people can come in and we can chat and do whatever. And I've purposefully kept that table clear, apart from three things. So one is. A, a box of candy, so there's a <laughs> that I that I can't help myself with. Um, but the other one is is I just have markers on the table and I have big A3 sheets of yellow paper. Um, and so any conversation, invariably one of us, I will you know grab a piece of paper and just start scribbling the conversation or the topic or the model or whatever it is, and and people will really quickly join in, which is a really great way to engage, particularly in a new organisation where you don't know people. It's just a great way to open up a conversation and and uh, and get people engaged in it. Well, I just love that idea, um, and I think for the Americans on the call or on the on the podcast, an A three I think is is it four times the size of an A four or some proportional? It's uh, two times, two times two the times. size of an A four. Yeah. So if you took yeah. two pieces of A four paper, which is sort of narrower and taller than letter size paper, and you stitch those two together, that would be an A three yeah, sheet. Correct. So it's it's pretty correct. large. It's yeah. You know, equivalent to us would be a ledger sheet, which is I think eleven by seventeen. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that the proportion is exactly the same, but it's pretty close. So it's a fairly yeah, large probably, sheet of paper. It's probably about fifteen inches across on the widest angle, I think. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, on the, so, on the wider side. Yeah. That's interesting. So, um, in you know, in the office where I'm at, we have lots of whiteboards all over the place. So I can go to a mm. whiteboard wall. So basically, the place where I do most of my work is a giant wall that's painted with whiteboard paint. And so I do yeah, my work perfect. there. So, I mean, uh, you can sort of use whatever you like. I'm sort of known for uh, when new new people come on the crew, I do like a little post-it note. I'll draw, I'll sort of listen to them or they have a nickname or something I'll come up with and I'll yep. draw a little post-it <laughs> note for them and they stick it in their workspace or on their laptop or something. So yeah, I just nice. sort of I grab whatever materials are free and available. And uh, But this that's a really interesting idea to have just like a blank pad waiting around that you can, you can pull a sheet off or just a stack yeah, of sheets. It, uh, just digressing on your point there, the, the CEO came in the other day and said, geez, uh, someone's put in a request to buy a whole heap of this whiteboard paint. And I went, that could have been my fault. Um, <laughs> so they've, uh, as we as we kind of refit parts of the office, you know, I've encouraged people to just get some paint and paint the walls and turn them into whiteboards. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. 
it's very good. Excellent. So talk a little bit about um, some of the different things you do in this role now, mm. and then how that's pulled some of the things you've done in the past. Because obviously what you've done in the past has led to this new position where you've got this influence over employees and fellow colleagues of all different yeah. levels. Talk about a little bit about that. So I think um, look, the, the role of a good consultant I always describe it as someone who kind of stands behind the client, throws throws breadcrumbs out in front and leads them to where they need to go. Um, you know, so they kind of follow this trail of breadcrumbs to, to hopefully where you think you need to take them and, and but you're not dragging them there. You, you, you're kind of getting them to get there a little bit under their own steam but with, with some hints and, and encouragement along the way. And um, my role in this organisation, I think, is, is really similar to that. So... While I, you know, have a remit or, you know, an expectation that I'm going to come up with, I'm going to challenge things and I'm going to come up with some ideas that maybe they haven't had before. But what I really see as a big chunk of my role is is challenging the thinking that's that's in the business, but also helping facilitate conversations uh, to to solve problems um, and 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 ultimately to set strategy in the organisation. Um, so I don't I don't pretend to have you know, the strategic answer to every single problem that the organisation's got. But I I, th- I think that after 20 years of consulting, um, you know, I have enough of a toolkit of, of which sketchnoting and visual thinking is one of those things um, to help to help people in the organisation bring the best of what they've got um, as well as, multi, you know, the, the intellect of the group together uh, and hopefully hopefully solve uh, some, of the, some of the problems and think about how we might, might keep growing this business. Um, and I always kind of err on the side of, um, bring more people into the conversation rather than less. So, um, you know, bring people from diverse teams, bring suppliers if it makes sense to bring them in, bring customers in if it makes sense to bring them in, um, you know, to, to break open some of that thinking and get different perspectives. And visual thinking, sketch noting, graphic facilitation is just a great way to, to, to engage large groups of people. I would agree. I think um, in my experience doing these whiteboard sessions, we basically set aside Mondays as whiteboard day and different groups yeah. building pieces of the software come in and we work through their future ideas like, okay, here's this thing we have to, how do we going to make this work? And I found yeah. that by having a variety of people, whether it's a business consultant or analyst or a product owner or even a coder or anyone really has a voice at that table, um, typically mm. I'll be up there drawing, you know, putting the stuff on the board. But other people often will come up and draw ideas if I'm not capturing it. You know, I'm very quick to say, hey, if I'm not getting it, come on up here and draw what you're thinking. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, and everybody's comfortable with that. One of the things that I need to do is actually train uh, the people on the team how to draw. And, and not, not so much how to draw because I already know how to draw. It's really getting the confidence to draw because that seems yeah, like at correct. the core of it, right? I imagine you encounter that some bit uh, in your role now. Some people gravitate right to it, and then there's others who don't. How do you? How do you? How are you dealing with those people that maybe feel uncomfortable? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the times, I mean, I don't, I don't think that I've got any great skill in how I draw. You know, if, and and without, without, there's an old saying in Australia about without pissing in your pocket. I don't know if we can say that on the podcast, but it's without, <laughs> you know, sort of trying to trying to sound like I'm I'm just um, you know talking up to you, but. But I don't, I don't have your skills, and obviously your background has has given you some some amazing skills from a from a drawing perspective. 
but you need to draw enough to understand what you've drawn. Um, and the first the first test, I think, is, you know, I encourage people to go, actually, no one need whatever you draw in your notebook, no one needs to understand it other than you. Right. Um, and, I, and I can guarantee that if you and I sit there and draw it together, we will both understand it, even if it looks like an absolute mess. Um, and I think, you know, and, and so often I just... I just hand the pen over, um, you know, because they will they will often defer to me, and I'll just go, and they'll start talking about something, and I'll go, show me, and and just give them the pen, mm-hmm. um, you know. And there's three seconds of hesitation, but once they're into it, they're just into it, <laughs> uh, and the, and they just keep going after that. Yeah, I think it's um, a lot of it might even be the spirit or the air of a safety. So, okay, this is a safe place. When I hand you the pen, I understand that you may not be the greatest artist, and that's okay, because the other thing I thought as you were mentioning that too is there may be sort of this um, moment or the experience of the moment. So when we're both having this experience where we're drawing or what what have you, um, Mm. that it's actually creating a moment where we're both participating. There's sort of a spirit in that moment that gets captured on the paper uh, that, like you said, when we look at it, we both can relate to what was talked about because there was verbalization, there were um, body languages happening, as well as drawing and so on. And we have we were interpreting all that stuff and recording it in our memories, yeah. and it made us feel a certain way. Um, and so by having that happening, you can sort of tap back into that in your memory, and you've, now you've mm. got an artifact that helps bring that alive. That's the thing that I'm seeing a lot with sketchnoting is uh, it's it's good for the moment to keep you aligned, but later on it actually brings yeah. back lots more information than maybe other modes would or could. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I when I was in the consulting practice, I actually ran. Um, we used to do this thing once a year called called summer school, and we'd take, you know, I think the last one we went to was probably twelve hundred consultants away for three days, and we'd and there'd be three days of training. Um, you know, broken up into into different streams, and and the group that I worked in, there was a couple of years where we actually did a session on on sketchnoting. Um, Excellent. And the way I did it was was you know a little bit of the theory about how does it you know what happens when you picture an image in your head versus versus a word and the translation that has to happen in your brain to go from the word to the image rather than just going straight to the image. Um, and then ultimately, you know, we'd have a bit of fun at the end where I'd get everybody to get a piece of paper and I'd go, you know, draw a person and everyone would draw a person, draw a bank and people, and you'd get 17 different versions of what mm-hmm. a bank looks like. Um, and then you'd give them some, some obscure topics like, you know, draw risk management uh, and you'd get some really weird stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but to them, but, but for the person that drew it, you know, they absolutely knew what it was, and they could explain why this was risk management, and that and that was the point that that I, you know I, I hope to get across. Yeah, that's the same experience I've had in the workshops I've done when people start doing their own interpretations of what they're hearing or thinking. They can actually, yeah. it's kind of amazing how in how much detail they can describe an idea. Looking at this, you know, very scribbly drawing of something that's imperfect. And yet here they're, you know, speaking for five, ten minutes about what it means and, you know, the nuances of this thing at times, which is, is kind of cool to see that there's actually this sort of opens up a different part of your your thinking or your mind. And I think that's what's absolutely. powerful about it, right? Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So where my head goes now is uh, people listening to the podcast are probably, I suspect, thinking, I wonder what, uh, wonder what activities James has taken his clients through and now his you know, employees and colleagues through, are there some mm. go-to activities or um, uh, exercises that you used in your 
consulting and now you're using in your, your daily job. Yeah. So as we mentioned, we talked about David Sibbett and the work that he's done and the work that he does for uh, through the Grove Consulting, which is the business that he has. Um, and often I'll use his uh, graphic guides. So imagine two and a half metres or, or eight eight feet wide pieces of paper by maybe four or five feet high. Um, and, and on those... I, first of all, you can actually buy them from David, from his organisation, from from the Grove, and they are sort of empty templates that help you drive thinking. So it could be thinking mm. about how do you assess um, how do you assess an industry structure, or how do you assess you do a, a SWOT analysis, or how do you understand the context, the economic context that you might be playing in. Um, so so I'll use those, or I'll or I'll adapt the ones that David's got because I need something slightly different, and I'll draw those templates up. You know, the night before a, a workshop, and then and then we'll fill that in. We'll fill that in with a combination of both text and visuals. Um, and then often when I ask people, you know, in any workshop, you invariably have breakout sessions. You'll invariably get people to think about stuff, um, and I'll encourage them to present that, um, you know, their findings or their thinking or their their proposal graphically. Actually, I, what I say to them is, you, you can write it down if you want. I'd love it if you drew it. I'd love it even more if you used interpretive dance to communicate it. Um, <laughs> so invariably, they you know they feel so threatened about interpretive dance, they're happy with the notion of uh, <laughs> of just drawing something. Um, and so again, and and it's more about getting people to just open up a different part of their brain. Uh, it's not it's not about the drawing. It's just about tapping into that that five or ten percent of the brain that maybe they don't tap into in a, in the course of a normal day. Interesting. That's a uh, that's an interesting way to think about it too for individual sketch noters. That maybe there's, uh, if you read David Sibbett's books and look at sort of the templates and the way that those discussions are framed and structured, it could be an interesting way to think about sketch noting to actually build some kind of structures to work within. Uh, if that's helpful for the way you're thinking, I tend to you know not use much of that stuff, but occasionally I do, and I find it helpful to have a structure that I follow. And then people mm. uh, can understand, especially if it's a recurring thing, to sort of have these conventions. It provides sort yeah. of a stability, right? It's uh, we know where we're heading. There's this thing. How is this going to fill out? It's a bit of a storytelling opportunity too, to see how this thing's the what the strange looking template on the wall. How how's James going to fill this thing in? Yeah. That, that's you know a bit of the fun of it, right? Yeah, exactly. I think there's two things there. One is I don't think you should sell yourself short, Mike. You know, your book talks about the different models that you can use about how you might actually, you know, structure some thinking on a page. And I think that's a, that's a great reference for people. Um, but invariably when people see this giant blank sheet of paper, their first thought is how the hell are we going to fill this thing? There's no way we're going to get there. Um, mm. and, and without fail, um, we run out of space. <laughs> Um, and the one that the the one graphic guide that I love doing that that we always run out of space on is is the is we look at the history of the organisation. So we might say, you know, it's two thousand and sixteen. Let's look at the last ten years, and let's identify uh, where you had great successes in the market, where you had great projects, where you had terrible projects, mm. where you hired good people, where you hired bad people, <laughs> uh, where you where the business grew, where the business shrank. Uh, and and try to draw and we kind of draw that and we draw that that ten years on a on a on a massive timeline and then and then start to distill 
some lessons. So, you know, when things were going really, really well, what was the lesson? When we screwed this up, what was the lesson? And and then you take those lessons forward as you start thinking about what you've got to do tomorrow. Um, and that invariably, once you get people talking about the history of an organisation, particularly an organisation that they've been part of, um, you know, even if only half of that 10 years, there is so much stuff that comes out. And it is a great way not only to capture those lessons, but it's a great way to just open up people's conversation and thinking because there's usually... There's usually jokes, there's usually stories, there's usually anecdotes, there's usually, oh, do you remember when this happened? Um, and you capture a real richness um, and as well as just opening people. It's usually one of the first things you do and so it just opens up the conversation and gets people gets people's energy up and going. That's There's a couple of things as I think about you doing this giant timeline on a wall with, with people who are at a company maybe at different lengths of time. Number one, it sort of pro- it propels this uh, storytelling idea, right? There's people who are new. Maybe they're new to it. They don't know all these old stories, and it's a way of bringing these stories back and giving them a history. You know, it's sort of uh, the oral history, in a sense, that that maybe was was shared more deeply in a culture, and now maybe it's shared in a different way. This is yeah, one way exactly. to, to, to tie to that, right? So that, there's that yep. history part of it, right? And which I imagine is probably a big part of it is giving people context. So... In the context of all these things, here's where we are now. That's really helpful to know where we come from because it can be, you know, hopefully encouraging that look look at all the things we went through and we're still here. So that's one, yeah. you know, positive thing, right? Another thing that yeah. I like about it is um, whether it's a good or bad thing, whether it's a person or activity or project or what have you, other can always be lessons from that thing, regardless of whether it was good or bad. So in some senses, the past becomes a little bit neutralized, but not completely. Like, we know it's a bad thing, but we've learned this interesting idea from it, and now we've modified ourselves. Or maybe a bad thing happened, and we instituted these negative things, and maybe we need to think about stopping doing these. Like, this hasn't happened for 15 years. Why are we still protecting ourselves from that thing? Maybe we need to rethink it. Maybe it's a little bit too restrictive. Maybe we come back halfway on that. And yeah. we think how we're handling it. You know, could could go in many different ways. That's a very fascinating idea. Yeah, absolutely. And and invariably, the lesson is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Now, regardless of whether you're looking at a positive time or a negative time, the the lesson you draw from it is invariably positive. No one no one draws a negative lesson out of something. <laughs> you know, so I always always get people to kind of frame things in a in an affirmative and aspirational and positive way. So. Um, you know, it's the lesson. What I encourage people to do is don't say the lesson should be stop doing this. The the lesson should be do this. Um, so mm. it becomes becomes a you know very focused on an activity and uh, and it, and it becomes a positive message. So regardless of how bad things were, we've taken something positive from it that we can we can go forward with. So so you know that graphic history. You know, sort of linking it back to to, to sketch noting and and graphic and visual thinking. You know, that graphic history is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the minute you get, you know, a bit of a, a debate about something or someone forgets something and they will grab the pen off you and put a big circle around something, you know you've got them. You know yeah. you've got them engaged in the conversation. It's a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's the best moment ever when you're a facilitator yep. <laughs> to see someone diving in. And Absolutely. I think it this could this is a really interesting application. So if you're an individual listening, maybe you're not, you know, you're not a strategy head or you're not a UX designer. Maybe you don't have those kind of positions in your company. Um, you can certainly maybe do this on a more informal level, either at work or even personally. Like I was imagining 
thinking about this, this would be really interesting for us as a family to sit at the table with a big sheet of paper and say, yeah. you know, we tell our kids stories about, uh, and we were doing this just the other night about, um, as an example, Nathan, our son, when he was in first grade, took uh, his little sister in as a show and tell in her little baby yeah. seat, and all the kids were fascinated, <laughs> right? And then he did it again when he was in, I think, fourth grade or fifth grade with his little brother. So yeah. there was sort of this little connective history, and it sort of brought it back like the little kids now can understand, oh, I was a show and tell object, right? It gives them a little yeah. context and perspective. That would be really interesting for us to lay out a timeline of our family, like, what was I doing before I met mom and yep. how did we meet? And like, they want to hear those stories. And this is a visual way where they, it's not so much us telling them a story, but it's, we're all participating. Again, it comes back to mm. that. All, all five of us are in this moment together, experiences, experiencing this thing. And it has a different meaning to each one, although it's has a unified meaning and an individual meaning, which is really fascinating. They yeah, have those absolutely. levels of meaning, right? Um, it, yeah. It also brings to mind a book that uh, I think would be a great resource for those listening. It's Dave Gray and Sonny Brown's Gamestorming. I don't know if you've heard of that mm. title before. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's on my desk. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's just got tons of fantastic ways of thinking about uh, things differently and then uh, often ways that you can apply that visually to your life or your business. So that, I think, is just a great book to have around, as James does. Mm. Um to pull off the desk and maybe get an idea. So that that sort of popped into mind and was worth sharing for those who maybe not, yeah, have not absolutely. heard of that title. And and on a personal front, um, I, again, the organization, when I was a consultant, the junior guys who would often think about, you know, where their career was going, you know, maybe they'd been consulting for five or six or seven years and they were thinking, you know, do I make a career out of this or do I go into industry or something like that? I, I've encouraged them to to do their own graphic history. So get a sheet of paper and actually draw their career hmm. um, and and identify the bits where they felt most satisfied, most frustrated, uh, where they felt most successful and least successful, and then try to connect those things to say, hey, if I, you know, what kind of job or what kind of career, you know, is going to give me more of these moments? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it could be a continuation of that career, but just with a, of the career they're in, but just with a slightly different perspective or a, a slight change of focus or approaching things a little bit differently, or it might mean that they need to change careers, which I've always thought was a good thing as well. Um, but a graphic, you know, a personal graphic history, and I've done my own probably a dozen times, I think, over the years, um, is a really, really, it's a fun thing to do, but it's a really powerful thing to do. And I think doing it from a family perspective would be amazing. Uh, my, my daughter's only 10 months old, so when she gets a little bit older, we'll have mm. more history to talk about and draw. Yeah, that would be, that would be a, a fun experience. And I'm starting to, the gears are churning in my head about how we can <laughs> find a big sheet of paper to put on the kitchen table and sort of do Absolutely. this as a, as a experiment. Turn off the TVs and the phones and the iPads, yep. turn them all off and go on the table and go analog for a night and have a little bit of fun. Uh, I love that. So I want to switch the discussion a little bit here to um, your personal tools and sort of what you use to do your work. And everyone's been a little bit different. Uh, It's been sometimes a mix of digital and analog, sometimes purely digital, occasionally more toward the analog side. So I'm always curious to hear what people, what the guests use and how they use them. So why don't you talk a little bit about, let's say, first analog and then we'll do digital. Sure. Uh, so analog is really, really simple for me. I use a B5 moleskin. Um, uh, most of the time I've, I've toyed with other B5s, but I, I think I'm going to keep going back to the, to the B5 moleskin. Uh, 
blank paper, so no lines, <coughs> no excuse me, no checkboxes, no um, mm-hmm. no grid, no dots, just just a blank paper. And then I buy boxes of of twelve Papermate Flare M's mm-hmm. <laughs> mediums in in black. That's it, uh, and that that is invariably uh, that that's they're my go to tools. Um, I have uh, there's a company called Mild Liner M I L D liner l-i-n-e-r uh, they make really really nice um colors in you know grays and yellows that i use just to highlight boxes and yeah uh, you know and, and highlight circles but just quite subtly so that's not not over the top but but that's pretty much it um so that that's my personal sort of sketch noting that's my everyday go-to go-to thing i've just recently tried and i don't know how you pronounce it so i might get it wrong but it's the it's the Leuchten, uh notebooks yes um, yes. So I've tried their B5, and that's I've got a nice bright orange one, which I, I really love the colour of. It, yeah. It's it's marginally more narrow than the moleskin, and it yeah. just frustrates me just a little bit. <laughs> really. I need that extra that extra half an inch on the on the edge is is uh, I I just find it missing. But uh, but that's a you know great quality notebook. But it'd mm. be one of those two um, that I carry with me all all the time. Um, when I when I do bigger stuff. In terms of you know visual thinking or graphic facilitation in a group, um, I use the Newland markers from Germany. Um, you know, in, in a variety of of the same colours, so predominantly black, uh, and then I and then I pick some 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 bold colours to highlight. You know, yellows, greys, uh, greens, and oranges uh, to highlight. You know, sort of boxes and callouts and and circle stuff, and and that's pretty much it. I like to keep it as simple as possible. There's there's less I can screw up. Yeah, that's a good point to have. Uh, keep your tools simple, and it sort of forces you to be creative with them. Um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the Flare pen as well. I rediscovered yeah, it absolutely. probably about a year ago. I think I may have mentioned it here and there. Yeah, I remember um, it. Yeah. It just uh, it just sort of this immediacy, and it brought me back to my junior high school days when mm. I used those more often because they were available and cheap. And um, I think Michaela Lewis, uh, who's a fellow sketch in the UK, yeah. um, apparently found a set and was wondering if she should buy them and i said yeah go for it and she wrote back these are amazing <laughs> yeah so, uh, i remember that i remember that conversation so and i i've tried you know the the Energel that i i think is your probably your one of your go-to pens um and and like the boldness of it i like the color of it but found uh, I, th- I think because I'm not very accurate i found it kind of slid across the paper just a little mm. bit too much for me got it um i think you'd you'd I think a more a more talented person with with better nib control is able to is able to do something with that. But uh, the Papermate just just works perfectly for me, and they're they're cheap. Um, you know, you, you can you buy a box of twelve for like eight bucks or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I have a at any given time I have thirty five or thirty six of them floating around my office. So <laughs> it wherever just, you go, uh, just makes it easy. One in they're, the glove box. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at my desk right now. I've got one in my hand, and I can see four others on my desk. So, <laughs> and that's I think, here at uh, home. So. It's interesting that you mentioned the Energel versus the the Flare, and I think there's definitely different properties. And what I what I'm discovering, and probably this is uh, obvious, is the tool changes sort of what comes out of you in some senses. Mm, so, absolutely. Um, you know, when I, now I'm using the iPad Pro. That that tool, I'm starting to find favorite things in different apps, and but it changes. What comes out of me, it doesn't exactly work the same. And I think that's a good thing to remember that um, 
if you maybe the the characteristics of that flare pen, the way you can really mash on that tip and you know yeah. get a bold line, or you know you can lay it on its side and get something. You know, gel pens um, are pretty good. They have the roller ball, but there's times when maybe you can pull it the wrong way and it doesn't quite pull the same thing. You can't. You know, there's not a a pressure sensitivity uh, control with it. Yeah. It's just always one line, no matter which way you roll with it, um, and so. It, it's, it's got a little bit different characteristic, and you just have to be aware of that and find the one that works for you. Obviously, flares yep. work for you, so why go anywhere else, right? It's yeah, exactly. It's pretty easy. The other one and, um, that I use a fair bit of, or occasionally use, is uh, again from Newland. They, they've got uh, a, a set of four pens called the Sketch One, and so they you get four pens. They vary in sort of a 0.1 millimeter to a 0.3, mm. 0.5, and 0.7, and they're really nice as well. But um, they're kind of a you know, an, an ad hoc usage kind of thing, but you know, the the papermate flare is 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 my go-to. Interesting mm-hmm. that you mentioned the Neuland uh, markers. I've seen those. I was at the IFVP event in Pittsburgh, oh, yeah. and so I got to see those firsthand in a huge collection. Uh, yeah. And I've actually been sort of thinking about pulling the trigger on uh, a small set. So I use so much whiteboarding now, and I'm using, I think they're the Expo brand markers, which are fine. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, we're doing interface design, so one of the colors that's uh, conspicuously absent is a light gray because often uh, I'll need to show, you know, disabled state. How do you show that? Yep. I, you know, brown brown and purple don't quite, <laughs> don't yeah, quite do quite it. <laughs> so, you know, I don't get too crazy about exact colors, but it would be nice to have if I, if I had a, a good black and a good gray, those two colors yep. I could probably do and then maybe have a red or some other bright color. That's usually what I write the notes about the drawing with to sort of right. separate it from the drawing itself. Yeah. So I've actually thought about going in and getting some uh, some Neulands and some refills. Yeah, look, uh, you should do it. They're, they're, they're they are really fantastic. good. They're, they're, chis- they're chisel tip, both sort of permanent markers um, and, and also their whiteboard markers are really good. They've got a, they've got a, a particular one in the permanent, uh, the, the black. It comes, in a, it comes in an orange body. I can't. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's designed. Mm-hmm. It's a fast dry, and when you highlight with a color, there's no smudging. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, which is which is. So I have all my blacks are, are those, and then you know whatever colors you pick, you pick. But they, they work really, really well. That's good. I, I've long mm. for a long time uh, admired the Neuland, and I think it's just maybe I'm coming around to like I'm just going to buy a set of these and and yeah, go for it. Should. I'll probably never go back to the other stuff. It'll no. be, it'll be <laughs> it's uh, a crazy. No, re- no regret purchase. <laughs> so now again, for the for the U.S. listeners, tell us a little bit about what a B5 size is so they have a context of that size. Is it small, large, Pro- medium? Yeah, probably the easiest way to describe it is it's, you know, the, the traditional is kind of iPad Air, so not the Pro, but just the normal iPad Air. That, it's okay. pretty much exactly that size. Got it. Um, yeah, so That's a nice are, size. It's yeah, it's good. It's good. I find the traditional moleskin, which I'm not quite sure what the size is, but I know the one that that you you use, for example, in your books and your videos, is just a little. I, I tend to write quite quite large, so they're just okay. a little bit too small for me. Um, but uh, these, I, I like them because they were the same size as my iPad. Um, I've got a case that they fit in, so iPad okay. and moleskin behind it, so they fit in perfectly together. Okay, um, which is probably a good lead into to digital tools, which is a really short conversation for me, by the way. Hmm. <laughs> well, in other words, you're not using any digital tools right now? 
No, look, I I got really excited when the iPad came out originally because sure. I thought this was going to be this was going to be a game changer for you know for sketch noting and for for taking notes and never quite quite got there. Yeah, admittedly, the iPad Pro with with the pencil is I think you know is an, an unbelievable step forward. Um, but I I toyed with you know the the uh, you know paper by fifty three and their pencil stylus, mm-hmm. uh, which was probably the best thing that I found, but it was never quite it was never quite right. So um, I don't think I've pulled my iPad out of its case for probably a year now. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, and I but I have toyed with with the Pro uh, and the. The, the smaller version that's the more recently come out because yep. I really like the idea of the pencil, which I know you're a fan of. Yeah, and I think uh, I was waiting for that size too because I just didn't want the larger size to haul around. Yep. I've always, I've got an iPad Air. I like small things. That's probably why I started with the small pocket moleskin. Well, part of it was I had one laying, laying about that I could pull and use when I first started this whole journey. But I've actually sort of shifted a little bit toward the next size up from the pocket, which I think moleskin calls the large I don't know, the, it's like five by eight inches imperial. Right. So, um, yeah. and that, and now I'm using, uh, at, at, uh, at work, I've actually been doing sort of a, a very, uh, modified version of bullet journaling, which is, uh, there's actually quite a lot of crossover between sketchnoting and bullet journaling in some yeah. senses. Um, I reached out and get, talked with, uh, Ryder Carroll, who sent me one of his bullet journal books to try. And so I've actually been using that pretty regularly drawing out my I draw my uh, schedule every day on a in a bar on the left or the right side of the page and look at Outlook and then I fill in what's coming and I write the room numbers and so on and uh, I like it because um, I sort of connect with my day a little bit more yep. tightly and but I also I don't have to open my computer to see what I'm doing I just look over yeah, at my book exactly. right and it's it's not I'm not projecting you know months in the future I'm not sitting there for two hours drawing every you know every yep. in the future I just do it that day and the other thing I do is I've got usually a backlog of tasks that are recorded somewhere on the computer. We have a list that everyone can see. But for me, I'll just pull the maybe five things yeah. that I want to achieve that day, and I'll write them. And then I've got space sort of if I've got this thing on the left and I've got my little list on the top, then I've got all this space in the middle to draw whatever I am whatever I want to draw if it's a discussion with yeah. somebody. And if I flip back through there... Uh, there's a drawing of a mocha pot because I was explaining to someone what a mocha pot was and how it worked. And <laughs> so I mean, there's this freedom to like just fiddle around. And what's funny is uh, the business analyst who I work with really closely, um, I think I flipped him. He's He bought a, the Leuchtturm uh, same size book in black with the dot grid, which we both like. And yep. he's been recording notes and he's just he keeps on remarking like, oh, this is so fantastic. I love being able to write my thinking immediately and not have to, you know, he had a real hard time sw- knowing whether he could make the switch from OneNote because he was a heavy OneNote user where you know you're typing notes and text and it's searchable and so on but I think yeah. um, he was able to reconcile a way to use it that maybe wasn't the deep notes but it was the the momentary notes and then maybe he can sit down at OneNote later and fill those ideas in so it's sort of uh, yeah, yeah. it's sort of got an in-between state so anyway that's a, a long discussion around <laughs> around that thing that uh, isn't what you do but uh that gives some context for people who are listening for the size. Yeah. So I just, I just quickly, just while you were talking, I just looked up. So B five is is just under seven inches by just under ten inches. Okay. Okay. So there you go. I wonder if that's. Uh, I imagine I haven't looked to see. I think Moleskin has actually expanded their size line. I know, like the Traveler notebook that I tested out yeah. is kind of an unusual size in between, and I don't know. I don't know if Moleskin is actually following the the A and B specs 
exactly because when I get the Leuchtturm uh, large notebook, it's just a little bit wider than this, the Moleskine. So yeah. I, I don't know who's right. Is or the I suspect <laughs> if I was going to roll the dice between the Germans and the Italians, I would say the Germans probably did it exactly right. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> that's uh, what you'd expect. But uh, who knows? You know, I I just grabbed the book and they're they're pretty close. Yeah, they're good. They're very good. That's all good stuff. Well, thank you for that that feedback on the tools you use and how you use them. And uh, I think the way I want to sort of wrap up our discussion is uh, think about what are three tips that you can offer someone. Maybe someone's listening to this podcast who's like was curious about the sketch noting thing, or maybe heard about it and just popped mm. open the show and listened to us talk about all this application of visual thinking. Um, what would you say are three good things to keep in mind or tips uh, when you're talking about sketch noting, visual thinking, just working visually that you can share yeah. with the, the listeners? That's a good question. I think, um, I mean, the first one I think is a is a pretty obvious tip, and I'd be surprised if most of the people you've spoken to hadn't come up with it. And that is, is when you start sketch noting, particularly in in your notebook. So let's not talk about sort of visual thinking in groups or graphic facilitation. Let's talk about your notebook. Um, it really just needs to make sense to you. Um, so you you don't have to worry about how you draw or, or whether the visual's right or whether you have to supplement it with text uh, to, to explain it. Uh, it just needs to make sense to you um, is, is probably the first thing. So and, that, and I think if you can get over that, I think that helps people get over the I can't draw mm-hmm. thing, you know, because there are very few people that can actually draw really well. <laughs> most, of us, most of us can't draw well. We can all draw, but most of us can't draw well. But we can draw well enough to be able to articulate something for ourselves and understand what it is. Um, I think the second thing uh, would be is, is to... It's kind of this notion of backing yourself. I think, I think um, people will be surprised by how well they can do this if they just start. Um, so there's, there's a bit of... A bit of safety that you need to give yourself to just say, you know what, I'm just going to do it, and and if it looks stupid, it looks stupid, but it doesn't really matter um, because the next time you do it, it'll look a little bit better, and the next time you do that, it'll it'll look a little bit better. Uh, and the third thing I think is a tip that I got from you, Mike, which is um, take some time to think about the the ten or fifteen terms that you you think you use or that you 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 know, come come across your day, come through your day and across your desk most often. Um, and if you've got a visual, if, you, if you've got a, an icon for those or a visual graphic, a graphic that you can capture for those, uh, that will cover probably, you know, 70 or 80% of what you do. If you get those icons right and you, you supplement it with some, some good text and some arrows and some boxes and circles, you know, and some containers to hold them in, you, you'll have an amazing sketch note that just makes absolutely great sense to you. Yeah, and I think um, that even points back to the first suggestion that the more you do it, the better you get with that yeah, that library. The more you do it, like even if you uh, take the back of your book and maybe draw them in there just so you've always got them with you or put them on a card. So let's say you jump between notebooks, you can take that card with you. The, yep. more, the more you actually draw them, the better you get at them, and pretty soon you you don't really need the card anymore. So. Yeah, and, and I started to um, challenge myself. to I'd, I'd practice by listening. I'd sit in front of the TV and try and sketch, you know, it's, it's hard to keep up with the TV, but just try and sketch note some of the key things that I'd hear in a, in a TV show or on the news or whatever. And it wasn't really about trying to capture the whole, you know, 30-minute news break. It was just about capturing four ideas in the 30 minutes. But it's just a really easy, um, inconsequential way of practising 
um, because if it doesn't make sense, you just you throw it <laughs> just out, or, it, you yeah. just, or you turn the page, right? Yeah. Um, it has it has no no meaning or no consequence or no use other than other than to practice. Those are excellent tips, and I would say even uh, tied to that first one, it just has to make sense to you. Is there's lots of pressure now to uh, to yeah. show your work online and put it on Instagram yep. or whatever. Like, don't feel that pressure. Um, mm. If you feel like you're not ready for that, then don't do that. It's it's yeah, your exactly. personal stuff. You decide you decide when it goes live, um, and don't feel the pressure that you got to uh-huh. you got to share it. I think and, that's a key. And and I started collecting examples of of great sketch notes and great graphic facilitation way before I ever shared anything. Um, you know, so I'd, I'd just follow people that I thought had had great skill or did something that I'd like, and I'd go, "Wow, I really like the way they highlight their arrows, or I really like that the you know that font that they've created." And and I've just built up, um, you know, actually in an in an album in Google Photos on my phone, I've just built up this album of of visual examples. There's a there's a shed load of your stuff in there, Mike, um, <laughs> and there's stuff from you know the the, the great sort of sketch note community that. That I know you you uh, uh, that you follow you know on, on Twitter and Instagram and on other uh, and in other spots, but um, and you kind of go you steal a little bit from somebody else and you steal some font from here and you steal some arrows from there and some underlining from over there and um, and uh, and all of a sudden you've you've got something that you adapt and make your own. That's uh, just fantastic advice uh, in all those three and all the sub points that came out mm. there that uh, I think will. Encourage someone. I think that's the goal of these Sketchnote uh, Army podcasts is encouraging people. So often we we see the the tweets and so on, and uh, having putting a voice to the to the text or even a yeah. voice to the picture is kind of fun. You get a a, a context behind yeah, who exactly. that person is. So now I you know I know I know more about you, and I think everyone else has a better sense of who you are and what you're about and how you relate to sketchnoting in the world. And uh, I just think it's a good thing, and I'm I'm excited about. Uh, uh, how people are going to enjoy the podcast and how they'll react to it. I think it's going to be a good thing. So thank you so much for your time and making time late on a Friday night for uh, for the Sketchnote Army crew and for me to uh, to share. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I, you know, uh, again, without without uh, wanting to overplay it, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. I can see both of your books on my bookshelf behind me. Um, so it's been a it's been a great privilege for me to to, to talk to you and share some of this stuff. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I think we're going to wrap the show with that, everyone. Until the next Sketchnote Army podcast, this is Mike Rohde. Have a great time sketchnoting. Sketchnoting.